What's going on, everybody? This is Big Pep, and I just wanted to get on the mic and just tell you guys, first off, can you believe it's been a month? It's been a month since we started the podcast, and man, the feedback cannot be any better. From the Facebook comments to the Instagram post to the repost to the DMs to even when you see me in person and ten, telling me how you loved this episode or you loved this guest, it truly means the world to, to me and my team. Also, too, a special announcement. Juan, my co-star, and I have collaborated and we're making Pep Talk merch. And guess what? We're getting them done fast. We're going to be dropping them this coming week. So you'll definitely have them for Christmas presents and for the holidays. So make sure you stay in tune with that because we're only doing a small batch. So, you know, the select few will be able to purchase them. And finally, we just want to say again, thank you for following our journey. This has been so amazing. We have so many amazing things in the works already, and we can't wait to show everybody. So again, we appreciate you guys and keep on enjoying pep talk. Enjoy this next episode. Now, let me tell you guys a little something about my guest for this episode, Mr. D. Pinker, him and I, we have a 20-year relationship, friendship. It goes all the way back to when we used to play each other in basketball when we were little kids, you know, going even in high school, playing sports against each other, and even going to the same university. We actually uh, lived together at one point. But his story is pretty amazing because of his upbringing and just his obstacles to where he's at now. Now he's, he's, a, he's a well-known um, he's a well-known NBA developer, trainer. He's also a, a, one of the biggest, biggest, biggest youth basketball coaches in Southern California. And his story just starts out from growing up here in a small town to, man, being able to travel, to coach, coaching uh, a team from the, from the Philippines, having a relationship with Kobe Bryant before he passed away, to even now being the director of basketball operations for Redline Athletics. So I just wanted to give you guys a little, you know, little info on Mr. D. Pinker before we start the show. Again, thank you guys for supporting and enjoy it. See you guys. Had a long week, so. We're back. Here we go. Pep Talk, new episode. Before I tell you who this person is, I just want to let you guys know that Persistence Culture, as always, thank you for sponsoring us. Thank you for this awesome studio. Persistence Culture, best gym in the 805. If you guys are in the 805 and want to go to a great gym, a CrossFit gym, just a all-around gym with good people, pull up to Persistence Culture. So my special guest, um, as you guys all know, we enjoy our brews on this podcast, and I gave him a choice between number one, two, or three. And today, he chose number two. Number two beer is... We're drinking from Santa Monica Brew Works, 310 California Blonde, a beach brew. Here you go, special guest. Thank you, sir. And I'll be doing, I will be doing brew number three, which is one of my favorites, Made West Hazy IPA. Boom. Now, without further ado, let me tell you guys about my special guest. Not only have we been friends for over 15 years, we've been playing sports against each other for over 20 years. 
He's recognized as one of the greatest basketball players to come out of the 805, out of Wainimi. He's now turned himself from a player to a coach. He's a NBA trainer. He's a player developer, head coach of the Rage, Rage mm-hmm. basketball team, and just an all-around great guy. Everybody, please give it up for Mr. D. Pinker. What do you think? It's cool uh, so far. Definitely. Thanks for that intro. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Um, I'm happy to be on. And the best way to get me here is uh, some drinks. So let's, let's do it. Let's do it. What I do is I try to get close to the mic and get off. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me try to do the same. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got two. <laughs> Cheers, Cheers brother. my brother. Oh, that's good right there. It is, right? really good. Maui Mark uh, was here the other day and he brought those. Good old Maui Mark. Let me fix my mic up real quick. Definitely a cool cool vibe on the can too. Makes oh. me feel like I'm at the beach. Was it was a Corona? Find your beach. Find your beach. Find your beach. <laughs> so where are you coming from right now? You look all nice, done up. Uh, man, so... Uh, I was I- expecting basketball shorts and an <laughs> I train with D shirt. Uh, nah, nah, nah. So I had a few meetings this morning um, and some trainings earlier. However, I got a dinner to go to right after this. So um, I'm killing two birds with one stone by already being dressed. So I don't got to dress up later. I love it. All right. So let's get into it. For the people who don't know you, because obviously a lot of our listeners are from 805, but a lot of people aren't. Um, I kind of told everybody, I kind of already told people that you're, you're a basketball trainer as well, but just a quick little summary, uh, who you are, where you're from, how do we know each other? <clears throat> um, well, I'm from Oxnard, California. Um, you know, born and raised, uh, Pep and I kind of, we started to know each other around maybe 11 years old, 12 years old. We played on um, uh, basketball rivals. Well, not so much rivals because my team always won, but uh, chill, chill, it's chill. neither here nor there. <laughs> No, nah, so we, we uh, met each other around 11, 12 years old, and, you know, we kind of, you know, just, you know, said what's up in passing and stuff, um, and then as we got older, high school, we played on a, a AAU team called Showtime, um, and then from there, uh, we kind of, you know, started to get close, and then, uh, you know, then I, I got introduced to, to the parents and stuff, and then from there, we, our relationship just kind of took off. Um, so that's kind of how Pep and I, uh, our relationship grew and we just stayed in touch from high school until now. And we've, um, became closer, you know, every, every year it seems like we get a little closer. Yes, sir. Definitely. So with that being said, um, I'm going to start from the beginning because I feel like this could be a really good and long podcast or it can be short, but still sweet. Mm -hmm. Um, first off. Middle school, I remember you, no, elementary school, you were a basketball player, you were a baseball player, you were a football player, but we primarily knew each other, basketball. Mm-hmm. You were played on the Rebels, I played on the Magic. We were rivals, but my question was, because mm-hmm. I remember you coming up as a pretty good basketball player, mm-hmm. but at the same time too, I kind of wasn't like, he's, he's a star. Mm-hmm. Right. But when did it click for you? Like, 
elementary school, played ball. High school, you played ball. Unless I'm mistaken, you were a freshman on varsity at Wyoming? Uh, my sophomore year. Your sophomore, sophomore year. year. But, you, but you didn't see that much playing time. And then all of a sudden, we got into pretty much our senior year, junior year, and all of a sudden it was 20 points a game, 30 points a game. And then at one point, you had a week where you were averaging 40. Mm-hmm. When did it click for you to, like, change it up, turn it up, you know, bring bring it bring bring the best out of D out. Um, so when I was a sophomore, so for people that don't know, Wyoming High School used to be a hub for talent. Um, so kind of when I was there, it was like we had an influx of talent where uh, the players in front of me were phenomenal athletes. So when I was a sophomore, I played behind um, two all county performers, basically Justin Halsey and Raheem LeBlanc. Um, two of the best <laughs> players that, you know, I've played with and played against. So, like, my sophomore year, I, I did have a role where, you know, I was coming off the bench. Um, however, in that limited role, I did I was able to still find pockets to score and be, uh, understanding the importance of, you know, fulfilling a role at a young age with a team full of seniors. Um, and then the same thing, my as, as I progressed, it was always, a, you know, Kind of like a not waiting your turn, but there was just so much talent where it was just my junior year, my points per game went up to about 17, 18 points a game. But then my senior year, I was finally the guy that was um, looked at as the, you know, the, the guy on the team. So with that uh, freedom and flexibility and not really having to um, kind of defer to the uh, upperclassmen. I was able to, you know, unleash my entire game because some years I was a shooter, some years I was a playmaker, but my senior year I was able to, you know, do uh, basically what I wanted to do and expand my game and that, you know, it was just uh, the timing met, you know, all the years of hard work I put into the game of basketball and it kind of just all clicked at once. Unless I'm mistaken, though, your senior year, you guys weren't that good. No, so my senior year... That was basically when all of our, basically, talent had left. And I was playing with a bunch of sophomores and freshmen. So I was the, it was me and basically a bunch of unexperienced players, although we had some, you know, older players, but I was the only one with varsity experience in a, in a, in a stacked uh, conference, basically. Yeah. How did your uh, mental discipline change from having, obviously, uh older guys kind of mentoring you to now you being the guy, but having a B average team, you were losing you were, mm-hmm. us growing up. You were always, you were winning, you were winning at everything. You were winning at basketball, you were winning at baseball, at football. And then all of a sudden you become the man on a losing team. What was, what was your mentality then? Uh, the mentality was weird. And now that I look back at it, it was kind of like a mature mentality to look at it um, because you know, I just had the mentality where I had to just stay stay um, ready. I had to stay sharp and, you know, be the best player I can be to try to elevate our team, you know, every, every time we stepped out on the court. So I was kind of self-aware in the sense where I knew that in order for us to, you know, have a shot at winning games, I had to kind of be special every night. And um, it was definitely tough because <laughs> there was games where I would have – 40-something points, and we would lose by 10, 10 points. Um, you know, in high school, there's, you know, only 32 minutes in the game, so the score would be like, I don't know, 58 to to 68, and I had 42 points. And yeah. it's like, 
You know what I mean? So it, it was just tough some nights. But um, I wouldn't, you know, I, I always, you know, go back and forth what I trade the experience to, you know, join up with, a, you know, another team um, in the area. And, you know, I, I, I just I learned a lot and it, it helped me as a basketball player. And I just learned so much more about myself playing with the team that wasn't um, that competitive. So now backtracking. Who was your first teacher in life in sports? Like who was who was the first person to be like, all right, like you want like you you found that person as like your go to when it came to sports, like your person to reach out to when it came to sports, whether it was at four or five or older, because I know you were playing sports all your life and I know you come from a family of athletes. Mm -hmm. Like here in the 805, everybody knows the last name Pingard. Mm-hmm. So to be honest, the, the, the person that taught me everything, at least the, the ground uh, works of everything sports was my dad. He taught me how to swing a bat, throw a baseball. Um, when it came to basketball, he told me at a young age, he said, look, you want to learn how to shoot free throw? You're going to learn how to shoot a layup. <laughs> he said, if you can't do, he said, that's all you're going to learn when you first start. Yep. So, um, you know, that was kind of the building blocks of, you know, my even he taught my dad taught me how to throw a football just everything bat anything sports related he was able to teach me at a young age and um being that uh you know I was around it as a as a as a kid I just was just gravitated to all the sports and it was always on in the house um we always went to sporting events my dad did a good job taking me as a kid to seeing you know the best talent in in the area and stuff so I definitely, you know, credit my dad for putting the sports in my life and, you know, building the foundation of, you know, all my athletics. So kudos to kudos to him. So ever since I've known you as well, you've always had the sense of like confidence in everything you do, whether it's sure. your first time or you've been like if you've done, if you've done it once, or you've done it a hundred times. The confidence is there. But also too, like especially here in the 805, everybody knew like your your base. You know, I remember when I used to think of you, I used to think of. Josh Pinker, Charles Dillon, mm -hmm. uh, Justin, all those guys. And they were all upperclassmen. Mm -hmm. So did you ever feel the pressure from when, you know, you had Josh going to SC, Charles going to Washington State? Mm -hmm. Washington State. Washington yeah. State. Justin uh, having, you know, opportunities to play for the Miami Dolphins. And then I was it was your turn. Did you feel that pressure like, fuck, I got I to gotta put on now? Or, or, or were you more like... Or did, did it not phase you? Uh, it, it, it didn't phase me. However, it was motivating to see, you know, Josh, you know, straight out of high school, go to SC and win a national championship. So he's won a national championship. So I'm in high school. I'm like, you know, I, I, I have to do something. So um, that kind of also fueled my senior season to kind of go back into the <laughs> into back in the podcast a little bit. Because I, I told myself I can get 30 points a game, 40 points a game. I got to get recruited by somebody. And, you know, I was... I was on my way to making a splash of, you know, fulfilling that. Um, so I did see that. However, growing up with, you know, that group that you just said for everybody that knows those names is um, there was when I I used to have to compete with them on a daily basis. And, you know, back in that time, we would play at the parks. We would play in the front yard. We would compete in everything. And those guys are so much older and so much, you know, faster and stronger I had to learn how to play against those guys. Um, so that ultimately helped me become a, 
a better basketball player just by playing against those, uh, you know, talented individuals. And now that's helping me in my profession is because I can show, you know, the next generation, all the techniques I learned to play against superior athletes. So it's like going through that kind of helped me in my career that I have now. So throughout this podcast, um, I'm going to be asking these, my personal questions, but also I asked a few of our close friends, uh, mm-hmm. some questions that they wanted to, that they wanted to ask. And one question that, that popped into my head actually, I believe was from, was from Sergio. And Sergio asked, how influential was Allen Iverson for you as a, as a, as a adolescent? Cause I remember you, you were the only person in Ventura County that I used to play against that had braids had the headband and you had the Iversons by the sixth grade. Man, so when I first started watching basketball, uh, Michael Jordan was my guy. And then, um, you know, along came this dude named Allen Iverson. And the first time I was, I'll never forget, I was watching it with my dad. And Allen Iverson was busting Michael Jordan up. Like, that's the game he hit him with the crossover. I think AI must have had 30 something points. So that, so after that game, like, I just kept following his career. He started growing his little fro. I started growing my little fro. He got the braids. I got the braids. But then to even, you know, go deep, uh, deeper into that uh, Allen Iverson thing, it's like he was like a superhero to me because he was small, right? He wasn't six foot six. He's, you know, they say he's 5'10", 5'11". Um, so to, to me to look at a player like that, you know, it seemed like it was possible for someone that isn't six foot six to go and just, you know, dominate a basketball game or even make it to the professional ranks. So I did patent my game around him. I stole all his moves. I, you know, stole all of his hairstyles, <laughs> you know, everything. <laughs> yep. Posters up in the room. So Alan Iverson is probably, um, if not the biggest, you know, basketball inspiration I, I've had. And still to this day, I still, you know, that's my guy. Um I know with coaching as well, you know, it obviously it's a whole different, you know, from player to now coaching, but how important was, because I think our relationship grew way tighter when we started playing AU ball together, mm-hmm. travel ball. Yeah. Um, how important is travel ball to, how was it, how important was it to you? And also how important is it to the youth now? Um, it's, it's extremely important. Um, I feel that just not just basketball or AAU, but I feel like there's a lot of life lessons learned in being on a team and joining a team and um, developing, a, a you know, on most teams that I have, I've developed a connection and a, and a brotherhood with, um, you know, a handful of the, my teammates. And, it, and it's because you have to go through trials and tribulations. You have to problem solve. You have to spend hours, if not weekends, like on end hanging out with these people. So I, I think that, you know, sports is the ultimate teacher of li- in life um, where it's like you, you learn how to win, you learn how to lose, you learn how to sacrifice, you learn how to be a leader, like all that tied into one. And, you know, for you and I, it's like we want to be first place and no matter what it is. And, yep. you know, that's instilled in, you know, being in sports and being competitive and always wanting to be number one. So I feel that's how, you know, it all ties in. So I feel like it's funny too, because this is, we're a few podcasts in and this is like the most serious one. So I'm going to, I'm going to switch it up right now. Cause I got to talk about, we got to talk about, Here we go. We got to talk about Showtime. Uh-oh. We got to talk about Showtime. Showtime, Man. 
Showtime travel hold basketball. On, hold on, hold on. So they, so the NCAA can't get in trouble. I mean, they can't get us in Not trouble. Not anymore, because we're, we're, right, okay. we're out. We're All right, out. We're out. Here we we're go. Out. We're out. I'm about to give you the, the real. So I get, was it you or me, or did we get picked up at the same time? Mm-hmm. I think we got picked up at the same time, right, to play for, for the team. Uh-huh. Uh, Nolan Smith, he, he recruited us to, to come play. And mm-hmm. we're not going to say the name of the family, but they they had a team and they invited us to come and play. It was the best top basketball players, football players, just kind of like playing like just just playing pickup. Yeah, basically. But what was funny about it is how old were we? We were 16. Uh, 15, 16, around that, that age age range right there. And I remember, do you remember the first tournament we went to? Which one was that? The one the one at UCSB. Oh, man. In I Santa Barbara? UCSB a bunch of times. So we were in Santa Barbara, and this is how I knew that uh, this team had money. There <laughs> <laughs> we go. We all were laced up in dope gear. We I think we were all wearing Jordan gear. We weren't sponsored by Jordan. We were just... You know, they were just buying the stuff for us, which is amazing. And we're at UCSB. And mind you, Santa Barbara from Ventura is maybe 30 minutes? 30, 35 minutes probably. We play a day game. And they're like, yeah, we have hotels <laughs> for each one of you guys. We're 16 at the time. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, you have your own room. You have your own room. And it was I remember trying to explain it to my parents. They're like, you're not coming home? I'm like, no, we have hotels. Well, what time's your next game tomorrow? Super early? No, nah, 1, 1 p.m. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Made no sense. Um, what was your best experience playing on Showtime? Uh, well, there's a, there's a handful of experience that I'd like to share. <laughs> so, um, oh, man, this is how I knew that it was a different type of uh, money that our team uh, had accumulated. That might sound like T.I. <laughs> <Right. laughs> uh, nah, so I remember we were going to a tournament and, you know, playing with, uh, you know, our pre- my previous club team. When we would go to Palm Springs, we would go in like a 12-passenger van. We would all cram in there, and it would be a four-hour uh, four drive to Palm Springs from where we're at. Three and a half, four hours. Easy. So then uh, on this current team... Showtime, uh, we get a, we get a, we come in for practice or whatever, and they're saying, yo, so tomorrow make sure, so we got broken up into two separate groups, and he was like, make sure this first six is at the, at the jet at this time, and I was like, jet, what do you mean, jet? <laughs> so we, we flew from Camarillo Airport to Palm Springs on a private jet to, <laughs> to go to the tournament, the tournament. And, and back. <laughs> so I, that was that was you know top top one experience as a ba- basketball player in general on a private jet, a private to, jet uh, yeah. at 15 years old in my Carmelo Anthony Jordans that were sponsored by the by the uh, the program. So that was number one, and the second one was when we went to Vegas, and we all had our own rooms at the Mandalay Bay with unlimited. Uh, Room service. Room service. Yup. <laughs> yup. Oh, my God. I'm talking about, that. man, I'm not going to put my roommate on blast, the one that I had, but he was ordering filet mignon and eggs at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> uh, chocolate chip pancakes yep. for no reason for a snack. It was, it was crazy. The The room service bill was like 5K and for no room one, service. And nobody cared. And that was one room out of like 20 rooms. Yep. Because uh, not only did our team 
bro, we had an entourage and security and bodyguards. Low key, we did. I'm we not gonna did. put uh, yeah. to put names out there, but we had our own little security. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. Um, have you ever seen anything like that in this day and age? I don't think uh, not not on the record because you know we were kind of the last generation that grew up with no social media access at all. So it's like now nowadays it's like you know kids would be 16 putting that experience online, getting probably getting in trouble for it. Yeah, you're right. But I don't know the new NCAA rules might let you get away with it now. But you know there was a time where you couldn't get anything extra from a person or a coach or nothing. Um, it had to be just straight by the book. So for us back then, and you know, 15, 16 years old to get, you know, all these <laughs> extras, yeah. all these extras just to hoop and catch L's. <laughs> Yo, I remember we and were we, I, I, we were in Vegas. We walk into the gym, and I'm telling you about like during the uh, it was the big time tournament, right? Mm-hmm. The big time tournament in Las Vegas is like big a, time or big foot. I think they still have it. Yeah, but it's like it's a. You know, everybody from all over the United States comes and plays and either they're like sponsored by the Boys and Girls Club or they're sponsored by, you know, the mom and pop uh, restaurant or grocery store out in their city. We walk into the to the gym to the gym wearing nothing but Jordan gear Mm -hmm. from head to toe. I'm talking about the new Carmelo Anthony's came out. We were wearing brand new Jordan uh, jerseys, we're wearing Jordan hats. If you wanted a headband, Jordan headband, Jordan socks, Jordan bags. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people would look at us and they'd be like, damn, this team's sponsored by Jordan. <laughs> and we lose every game by 50. <laughs> <laughs> Not by 50, but we were catching crazy yeah, we were L's. Crazy L's. Crazy L's. Everybody would come out, everybody would, would play their best because they're playing like, because they think we're, they're playing against Team Jordan. Yeah, yeah, we got everybody's best shot. I mean, we did win, but we definitely, you know, lost. We probably a five hundred team, if that. Yeah, if that. If, if that. that. <laughs> um, I just had to bring that up. Uh-huh. Man. So now, you know, having a stellar career, uh, high school career. You know, I'm sure by the time you gr- you were graduating in high school, you had a couple scholarships. Mm-hmm. You had some schools looking at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened? What happened after that? After after uh, after your final year of basketball? Um, so so my senior year of high school, I did have some offers. I had a lot of um, offers from you know Division two, NAIA, Division three. Um, but in in my in my head, I wanted to shoot for Division one. So at the time, um, uh, I had been approached by you know most of the junior colleges in Southern California. So I, you know, I looked at the the, cl- the program that was closest, which was Ventura College, and at the time it was the premier college um, in Southern California. They had just uh, went to the Final Four and competed for a state title, had about, I don't know, numerous of people go to Division One out of that JUCO. Um, so I decided to, to play JUCO for, for two years at uh, Ventura College. Um, so when he says JUCO, he's, he's referring to uh, junior college. Yeah, junior college. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's kind of where I went uh, post-high school. And what was cool about that was D and I, we, 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 we literally were the same age. We graduated together, and we both ended up going to Ventura College. And earlier in prior podcasts, I had, I had spoke about how here at, at, in that year – 
in 2007, um, there were a specific coach, Greg Winslow, who's, in my opinion, one of the, if not the best coach to ever come out of Ontario College. And he was very specific about only having a handful of local basketball players, which luckily enough, it was D and I. And was it your freshman year or sophomore year? I remember you, you tore your meniscus. So that was um, the last game of freshman season. Yeah, because I remember you coming into – like I, I, I was a basketball player. And I could hold my own, but I wasn't highly recruited. D, he was a hooper, so he was getting recruited heavy by Ventura College. So him coming to join the team was was a big deal. And I know you having that that tear on your knee was 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 huge because you've never broken anything in your life up to that point. I've never had up to that point. I never had an injury, or if I did, it, I played through it. It was nothing, you know, too serious. And you know, at that time. You know, it was it's just a crazy it's just crazy how, you know, one little thing can, you know, change the trajectory of what you have going. Because with that, um, we were number four in the state. Yep. We we're number four in the state. Uh, we we're making a playoff push and I tear my meniscus. And it's it's the, you know, the more severe tear where I where I had no choice to um, repair it. So which was a longer recovery than them going in there. And just, you know, shaving out the problem area. But the pro- the thing was, is they would have shaved out most of my meniscus. And it would have came back to bite me as we get older. So I just decided to repair it. But where that kind of threw things off was I didn't get an off-season to train. To, you know, work on any things I needed to work on. And the day I got cleared was the first day of practice to play our sophomore year. So it was just straight from getting cleared from rehab with no conditioning, no nothing. Just jump right into practice. So that was a tough transition. I didn't feel like I was myself until like halfway through that sophomore year, but I didn't. I never told anybody that because sure, I, man. you know, no excuses. No excuses. <laughs> no man. excuses. You on the floor. You you on the court. You can play. <laughs> so so I'm sure you coming back and in your in your head knowing like I'm not the same. I don't have the mm-hmm. same athleticism and this mm-hmm. and that. Um, and knowing you for you know since we were kids, I know basketball. It was either basketball or bust, NBA or bust, Division one or bust. Yeah. Um, what was your mindset finishing up your sophomore year? Uh, what, what were you thinking? Were you thinking about trying to keep on pursuing uh, basketball? Or did you already have, like, other other uh, ideas in mind? So the, the mindset was I still wanted to continue um, to pursue basketball. But for people that don't know the story is we had a coaching change from our freshman to our sophomore year. So the coach that was – and, you know, helping me get recruited, he was now gone. So then now I had to start my sophomore year with a coach that really didn't have a uh, – it didn't start off as a good relationship. I ended up building a good relationship. But um, it was just a blank slate. So coming off an injury, uh, not having a relationship with our coach, it was an uphill battle to, you know, you know, get my name out there and, you know, still – be, contribute to the team and, you know, not go straight ISO ball to go get, you know, because it, it could have been one of those situations where I really tried to just go score, yeah. but that would have messed up the team because we still ended up winning conference both years we were there. Um, so that's kind of um, – hold on, what was – what did you ask me? Like <laughs> I kind of went on a tangent. No, no, you're good, but it was pretty much asking, like, knowing that you – coming into – uh, your sophomore year and even finishing your sophomore year knowing that you weren't 100%, mm-hmm. um, was your mindset still 
to pursue basketball or were you thinking of other ideas or, or other career moves or were you thinking, I don't know, like, should I even keep on going to school since I can't play ball or are you going to try to get your degree? Like what was going on through your mind? Yeah. So I still wanted to pursue basketball. Um, and even through my, you know, playing through, you know, rehab basically, and still, you know, finishing out my sophomore season, there was still, you know, a handful of scholarship offers that I did have to pursue to continue to play basketball. Um, and, you know, I exercised a, a bunch of those. Um, so I, the, the goal was to still continue to play. And then that next little chapter, which still kind of pisses me off, is kind of what made me pivot from a competitive basketball or um, Division One basketball. Which is going into uh, Cal State Northridge. Yeah. Right, that's how you say it, Cal State mm-hmm. Northridge. Um, where we both, I, ended, I, I went for one year. I finished my senior year there. You went for your junior and, junior and senior year. Yeah. Tell that story because I know, especially here from the county, everyone was expecting pretty much what is D going to do next? Where is he going to play at? And I remember your, your mindset, your vision was go to the Northridge and try to walk on. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, kind of. So, so the story, so the story is my sophomore year, I had, um, you know, a bunch of NAIA schools and D2 schools that offered me scholarships. So what ended up happening was I was actually going to take a full ride division two scholarship to Cal State, um, Cal State Stanislaus up north. You're right. Yep, so yep. myself and my boy Prince, shout out to Prince, <laughs> Prince Abadoye, <laughs> that's my dog. Um, so we went up to Cal State Stanislaus and basically they were going to give us the keys to the ship where we can go and just hoop, finish out, you know, our two years, and it was just going to be our squad because they had a losing season prior, and they just basically were going to recruit us to turn around the program. Well, at least that's what they pitched. <laughs> you know how it goes. Yeah. So then literally the day of, um, you know, we went on our official visit. Uh, we stayed the weekend. We hung out with the team, played, did a whole, you know, recruiting visit or whatever. So um, that same – so the coach was going to come out to sign me. That same day, he calls me in the morning. He had he got fired the same day I was going to sign. Fired. Damn. So at the time, Northridge was recruiting me, but they were um, they were recruiting me to offer me like a, a partial scholarship. So the reason why I was going to choose Stanislaus over Northridge was because it was a full ride versus partial. So... You know, after I get, you know, basically that scholarship opportunity from Stanislaus and all the other ones have got filled because I turned them down. Um, so they were filling them with other players. So then I get the North, the, get to call, calling around and Northridge was still interested. Um, so then I talked to the coach, coaches. They were like, yeah, man, just, you know, come out and, you know, your, your grades are good. You'll get in academically and you, you have a spot on the team. And then I was like, okay, by spot, what do you mean? He was like, you know, we have a bunch of scholarship players, but, you know, we know, like, we've seen you play, we've recruited you, and you can come in and, you know, earn your full scholarship. I was like, all right, cool. But when I get there, you know, you know, I, I did the whole preseason stuff with the, with the team and, we, you know, workouts and stuff. Um, but then at the end of the day, the, basically the head coach, I don't want to put the coach on blast or whatever, but basically, he just told me straight out that they were going to honor and play the, the the people in front of me and that I was going to have to basically sit out a year basic to, 
you know, to sit out. And, um, you know, that didn't sit right with me, a player that's never really, you know, been in that situation. So they, they told me I was going to sit out, and then that was that. And then I talked to them, and they were like, you know, we, we sat down and we talked, and I was just like, you know what, you guys got me here and said I could play. Now I'm here, I'm enrolled in classes, and you tell me I have to sit out of the whole year. I'm only a year and a half away from my degree. So then I, I made the executive decision to step away from the team and just f- finish my bachelor's degree. See, I, had, I knew none of that. I, maybe because I, I, I'm terrible with, like, my, my memory, but I forgot mm-hmm. all about that. Yes, well, I mean, I, I, I don't like to touch on that subject a lot because that was the first time in my life where I seen the, the politics of basketball, mm-hmm. you know, past a certain point where – and I'm I'm talking about when we do open open run, I'm scoring. I'm, you know, going at the starting point guard. I'm, you know, you know, getting guys involved, throwing alley oops, like, you know, really competing and doing my thing. And then, you know, for them to come and say, you know what, like, we're not gonna use you this year. And I was like, I could have went you know, I could have went somewhere else, but you know, I'm already locked in for that year. I was like, I only have a year and a half of school left. Yeah. So then it was that situation. Do I play the transfer and sit out game and, you know, play back, you know, that. And it, so I, would, I made the decision to finish school. And how old were you at the time? Night was at 19 years old. So, you, years but, old? But, so the reason why I'm asking your age is because even at 19, I mean, you still have so much, so much gas left in the tank. You know, you yeah. could have tried to pursue mm-hmm. going to play elsewhere. Um, you know, going to, I don't know, going to another NAIA school, but, but what, what made you realize it was time to focus more on your degree? Um, so it wasn't more so time to realize it was kind of looking back on it. What I do now is I, I'm help. I help players, you know, go reach their goals, whether that's, I wish I had a person like me in my ear to show me the, the, um, you know, the options that were available to me after, you know, the Northridge thing. Because after that, I, I felt like I was on my own. And, you know, I would email coaches and try to call coaches on my own and just fall flat. So part of it is, you know, I felt like I had no one that helped me. And then also, I've, I didn't take the initiative to maybe reach out to some people that could help me. It was just kind of like a... I was kind of in a, you know, a weird place where I just wish I had more guidance in that time to probably make a, a better decision. Because, you know, at 19, it was just like probably just an emotional decision. Yeah, I'm sure there was. But there. I have to live with it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it was a super emotional, like, man, I come here, I'm busting everybody, and they tell me I can't play. Man, I'm done. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of, like, pride and ego got in the way of Basi- it. Basically. But, I mean, hey, man, you were able to – Go to Northridge, get your degree, mm-hmm. and um, moving forward, we at what twenty? I would say twenty four, twenty five. Um, I mean, we were we were always close. We, we catch up with each other, but we reconnected during yeah around like twenty four when when you and I worked together at mm-hmm. at Casa Pacifica. Casa Pacifica is an at risk facility here in Camarillo, California, where they pretty much bring in kids who you know have whether it be uh, at-risk behaviors, you know, sometimes uh, temper temper problems, uh, 
what else would you say? About um, also, uh, not only that, just um, so there's there's two parts of it where you know you have a, your behavioral um, side where they have extreme behaviors or they come from you know a bad background yeah. where you know they have certain things that they've dealt with that got them that way. Then there's a whole other side of the educational side um, where some might have. Um, different you know abilities when it comes to schooling where whether it's harder for them grass concepts or they have um just some type of uh you know i you know i hate to use this word but you know mental health issues sure exactly um that that don't allow them to you know fully access their education so we worked at a facility that had all of that tied into one basically and i know that being there I ended up being there for five years. How long did you end up being there for? Um, I believe it ended up being like three years around there. Three years, give and take some some months. What was the biggest? Uh, what was the biggest thing that you take away from that facility working with the that type of population? Um, that facility taught uh, Casa Pacifica taught me a lot. Um, it taught me how to uh, to manage behaviors, how to uh, you know, de-escalate the situation. Um, it also taught me um, the different mental health, um, that all the different, uh, I don't, you know, like to categorize it, but, you know, you have your, your autism, you have your, you know, your bipolar, you have all these different um, categories. Yeah. And, it, you know, it teaches you how to communicate successfully with this population or how to identify when someone's having an episode and how to, uh, you know, be able to just deescalate that situation. And, you know, I find that I've, you know, I have a soft spot, soft spot in my heart for, you know, you know, the whole mental health field, because my three years, I learned a lot and I was able to, you know, you know, make a positive impact on some of the, the kids. And I know you as well, when we worked together, we did some good stuff together yeah. in that, facility and um yeah man it was just a different type of uh what do you call it fulfillment working oh, with yeah. with that population um you know and you know I, I definitely you know appreciate the time that I was there and, and, and with that with that ties in my next question which is uh how did working there help with what you're doing now which is you know coaching coaching youth, mentoring youth, also working with, you know, NBA players, Division One players, uh, overseas players. Did any of, of, of what you learned there correlate with, with what you're doing now? Uh, for sure. So that that experience actually, you know, enhanced my ability to to coach, to coach my, my AAU team where I can manage 10 different personalities and get them all uh, on the same wavelength. Or to um, be able to, you know, problem solve in the moment or understanding when one of my players is basically having a meltdown <laughs> and how to get them from that state back into, you know, their, their normal state. And those are all skills that I've, I would not have learned if I didn't work at Cos Pacifica because for you guys that don't know me well, my, uh, my dad and my family, were they're very you know, hardcore where it's like, you don't have time to be mad. (laughs) 
or it's you, very black and white. 100%. You can't be yeah. mad, yeah. or you can't be sad, or you better you better suck it up. Yeah, my, you my, know my, stuff my, like that. My, my dad's the exact pause. same way. Super pause. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you you couldn't be hurt, you couldn't be sad, you couldn't be mad. You just had to figure it out. Period. So um, I definitely learned a lot of um, things that I didn't learn, um, you know, growing up, which is cool. So I was able to kind of expand my, you know, my mind a little bit. So when, after you, uh, after you get your degree, I know you decided to embark on, and after your degree, after Cosmicivica, during that time, I knew that you were, you were coaching on the side, you were doing uh, one-on-one basketball training. And then I remember you telling me that you got a job working at the Mama Academy. Yep. So for the people who don't know what the Mom, the Mama Academy is well, what it is now, it's called the Sports Academy. But the Mamba Academy was uh, the academy that Kobe Bryant pretty much co signed, owned, and it's in Thousand Oaks, California. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that experience when it was the Mamba Academy. Um, so it's actually started out as Sports Academy, and then um, through I gotta give I gotta give my girl a shout out, uh, Sean Barina. She's she was my she hired me oh. at Sports Academy. And she is the mastermind behind getting Kobe in the building. Do people know that? I mean, I don't know if she's going to get mad at me for telling the story, <laughs> no, but she's dope. an icon. Damn. <laughs> she's a legend. That's dope. So I'm going to give her her shout out. Hope she doesn't kill me for this. But nah. yeah, so she. So, yep. Um, so yeah. Um, so she gave me my first shot at training on that level, um, which I, man, I appreciate her for that opportunity. I always be grateful. And then she also gave me my first opportunity to work alongside Kobe. And then kind of after that experience, that because uh, Kobe brought his girls, uh, his girls team to come train with us for a weekend. And um, he had an amazing experience. So, you know, Kobe's a mover. So soon, you know, shortly after he wanted to put his, you know, and, you know, put his name on the building. So that's kind of how it, it all came to fruition. So... I'm going to totally stop right there because now you brought up the man, the legend himself, Kobe Bryant. Mm -hmm. So you meet him, you're on the court with him. Mm -hmm. What, what do you inside, you know, what's going on? Are you freaking out? Are you like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta be professional. I mean, what what are you thinking standing next to Kobe? Because for people who don't know also too, if you check out these Instagram, there's pictures with Kobe, he's guarding Kobe on the court. What is going on after being a basketball head, now all of a sudden you're with one of, if not the best player to ever walk this earth. Man, so you know, I, you know, I always told myself that, man, if I seen so and so, I, you know, I'd just be whatever. But it, man, for you guys that uh, are familiar with the Chappelle Show, when Kobe walked in for the first time, like, he had like a glow, like he had like an aura around him, like Prince. <laughs> so not only did he have that aura like so when he walks into the building I, pr- I promise you not I'm standing to the left and before he did anything he beelines right to me and introducing himself on the spot to me yeah I was like so not only was I thrown off because it's a, like it's weird because you know I've seen professional athletes and yeah. all these artists and whatever but Kobe's different Kobe's exactly. like a suit like he had like a or like that aura. Yeah, you can say he is a superhero. He was a superhero. So it, yeah. it was crazy because I I've never, you know, I've seen almost every basketball player, but Kobe's different. 
It's like he's not even a human being. You know what's funny is uh, <laughs> one of the questions that I got was actually from, I don't know if it was from uh, Jesus or Sergio. Um, Jesus is my brother, and Sergio's a good friend of ours. They go, what did Kobe smell like? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I couldn't even, I don't know. I I was not even focused on what he smelled like. But, uh, man, he was he was cool, man. Yeah. He was, uh, he did was, did he was Kobe cool. have a glow like Jesus? Man. If, if Jesus had a glow, I'm sure it would be similar to Kobe. <laughs> <laughs> These are all questions that, that we got from, from, from our friends. Yeah, it was... He, he's cool. But but after that, you know, that initial, you know, meeting, you know, it was cool because, like, he started to treat me just like, a nor- like you know what I mean? Just like one of the guys. He would yeah. always, you know, come up and talk and we would chop it up. And we kind of formed, like, a little relationship, which was, you know, I'll cherish that forever. So do you remember, and this is obviously, like, the question that I got to ask, especially with you being so close to the Mom Academy and having interaction with Kobe Bryant. Do you remember where you were at? When you heard the news that he had passed away? Yeah. Um, so I was uh, leaving my, I was leaving to play actually in his, so the basketball tournament that he was flying to was actually the tournament that um, my club team was also participating in. And um, the crazy part about it is I, I had talked to him the day before. Um, what was your guys' last piece of conversation? No, it was just, it was just like a, what's up, man? How you doing type thing? Because in that basketball setting, you have 100 teams there that are all trying to get, you know, Kobe's time. Pretend. Course, so yeah. I just, you know, I just, I seen he was on the move. I just said, what's up? Um, so that was that. And then the next morning, I'm driving to the, uh, to the facility. And I promise you not, I had about 50 or 60 text messages coming. Like, I'm driving. So it's just like coming in over and over and over. I'm like, what is going on? Then I'm getting calls left and right. And then people are asking me, like, yo, did Kobe die? This and that. And I was like, what are you talking about? So then people were sending me, like, TNZ stuff. And I was like, nah, this is fake. Like, I just seen him. He's good. It's fake. And then when I knew it was real was when I got the call from uh, uh, the Mamba Academy. And it said, all games are canceled for today. So when I got the call from the tournament director... I was like, nah, fam, yeah, nah, and then it was just like, it was crazy because I by the time I got the call, everyone was at the facility and it was like everyone just like moment of silence, took yeah. a knee and prayed in unison, and it was just devastating. You know, it's crazy because um, earlier in the last podcast, we had talked about Jordan and myself, like especially even though you and I, I mean. We're still, you know, semi, semi young, but there's a few things that I'll always remember that, like, that you never forget. You never forget where you were at when 9-11 hit. Mm-hmm. Um, you never forget when President Barack Obama was elected. You never forget when Michael Jackson died. And then you never forget when, you know, you heard the news of Kobe Bryant, mm-hmm. you know, passing away. So, you know, that shit was crazy. Um, and it's crazy because it still hits. We were just talking about it recently too. Like it's just it's just not the same, you know. He mm-hmm. it had he had an aura, you know. Who knew what what would happen moving forward in his new uh, embarks with yeah. you know with with everything, especially in girls sports. For sure. Um. So you're at the sports academy. You're coaching, uh, working with the youth. You were there for about four years. Uh, 
roughly probably three and some change, close to four. So then, when did like you? Two thousand, uh, I believe, two thousand sixteen to like when the pandemic hit. So then, I remember when we were. I had already left Casa Pacifica, and you had told me that you were working part time at the Mamba Academy and still working at Casa Pacifica. Yeah. When did you decide to finally take that leap of faith and go full time to becoming a personal basketball trainer? Yeah, so um, a lot of people don't know this story either. So closer. Yeah. Right <laughs> yeah. Nah, it's all good. Um, so a lot of people don't know this either. So I was doing cosplay. So just to give you a kind of rundown of how my day was is uh, I would work out in the morning from five, whatever, five to seven thirty. Then I'll be at Costa Pacifica from like eight thirty to three thirty, and then I would be in sports academy from four to eight and then after eight i was actually uh enrolled in a master's program to get my teaching credential all at once so um that was how my life was for a while and i just remember looking uh just talking to sam and um oh people don't know who's who's sam (laughs) who's sam d let let him let him know uh, know sam is uh the the love of my life oh Nah, she's a, you know, a a big reason of why I have been, you know, on the path that I am. I told her, I said, you know what? Like, I don't want to be a, I don't want to get my master's and be a teacher. I want to, you know, I want to, and you know, put all my eggs in one basket and go all in on this training thing, this coaching and basketball thing. And then, you know, she was just like, go for it. She's a risk taker. And she lives her life like that. She, she'll always take risks. So it's like just, you know, her guidance, you know, pushed me to jump, right? I just kind of needed that, that guidance to push me in the right direction. Sort of like what I said earlier in the, in the podcast and pivotal moments in your life, um, you kind of just need some guidance, which, which is okay. And um, she was just like, all right, well, We'll figure it out. Like, I know you're leaving a full-time job with full benefits and retirement and... 401k. 401k, you know, we're we're doing decent right now. Like, just know that, you know, I believe in you. I was like, all right. So then from there, I just, uh, you know, I went all in on basketball training and coaching. So from from there, (laughs) you... uh, you start full time at the Mob Academy, mm-hmm. and then, well, I didn't start full time. <laughs> I had to build that. You had to build that. Yeah, so it was um, basically performance based. So, like, I had a handful of clinics that I was responsible for, which would probably be like ten a week. Mm-hmm. But um, I had to, I had to, you know, build my client base to reach my full time. And what was your first? Uh... <clears throat> What was your first like aha moment when you're like, okay, I think I think I just I made a I made a big statement, I made a big benchmark. I'm working with this athlete. Um the the first time the first time was when um we had there was like a maybe a two month stretch where we had like two or three different international teams mm-hmm. from like Indonesia, um China, 
like all these in like all these international players and most of them professional level players and you know like i said uh sean trusted me with like having my own station with these overseas players why, why do you think that that is again like I, I go back to that because me knowing you for 20 plus years i'm not surprised because of your level of confidence what do you think this person saw in you that made you that that, that kind of like gave you the green light to to handle such responsibilities um i'm not too sure but i know um she's very calculated and very very smart where um just probably closely watching me and how I handle myself dealing with, um, you know, very young kids, to be honest, and then dealing with middle school and high school and how I was able to manage to basically just prove myself, basically working with all ages and being on time and showing up, basically showing up early, leaving late, asking questions. And I think it just became, you know, just more confidence came with, you know, every week that I was there. So when did you decide to pull the plug and go full time and invest in yourself? Because I know that we had talked about it. You decided to leave the academy and just focus on what your company now is called, unless I'm mistaken, I train with D. So that's that's the that's the handle. That's my Instagram handle. But my I- but the company name is also is actually uh, D Pinkard Basketball. Oh. So it's kind of, I fuck, guess what you me, call, huh? I guess you, what it's called is a, a cross branded. Oh, I, I guess like, that's what we call it. I like that. Um, so yeah, it was just a, a thing that I thought of to put my actual Instagram handle on my gear to get, you know, people just click your, click your page. Yep. <laughs> no, but, 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 so it was, it was kind of cool. But when did you, when did you decide to just say, all right, kind of like Mamba, you helped me out, get to this point. Now it's time to fully dive in and invest in yourself 100% without having a support like a sports academy? Um, so for a while, for about a year and a half, at the time I was there, I was halfway in and halfway out where I was doing, I was doing everything I needed to fulfill for my, you know, my role at sports academy. However, I did have my own outside stuff going on, whether that was my AAU program or my outside training that wasn't in Thousand Oaks, California. Um, so I was, you know, doing both. And then, um, what kind of helped, <laughs> kind of helped speed up the process was the pandemic <laughs> mm-hmm. when there was no work. So I had to create the work and that, that kind of shifted my, my half, my one foot in one foot out to just go all in on, um, on my, my business. So could you say that the pandemic was beneficial for you or not? Um, it was beneficial for me and in, in forcing me to fend for myself. Um, so it was, it was no more, um, one foot in one foot out. Like I always say, it was like, okay, pandemic hit, the gym is closed. What you going to do? Yeah. (laughs) So then it was like, I just turned into like a a beast really where it was like, I must've called and reached out to a hundred people. And you know, during a pandemic it's hard because you're supposed to social distance and stay home and all this and that. But I was able to, you know, build a brand and, and maintain my, my own personal business um, for the last year and a half on my own by myself. And also creating great content, 
and working all over Ventura County. This because That's for you. Yeah, go ahead. Shout out to uh, Topa 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 Topa. Even though you guys aren't sponsoring us, we got this uh, Chief Peak beer. Chief Keith. Chief. So, so. so. Oh, block. Oh, block. So. <laughs> <laughs> so now. Um, oh, yeah. Creating creating what you have now, which is which, which is the brand, you know, especially here in the 805 where you're you were born and raised. Um, how does that correlate with what you thought? Like, did you ever think you were going to be a coach? I didn't think I would be a coach. Um, actually, I take that back. I did. I did think. I, I didn't think I would be a coach so soon. So let me let me rephrase that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I didn't know that everything I was doing in my basketball career would help me be a coach. Like from a little kid until now, um, you know everything I've learned. And then now that I look back at my playing style and how I, I was coaching on the court back then, and I didn't even know it. And um, you know I would. Pull, I would pull players aside um, and really, you know, tell them, like, hey, like, the, the defense is doing this. You should do this. Mm-hmm. Or I was doing that at, like, 12, and I didn't even realize it. But now I understand. It's like, you know, I feel like it's a gift. Like, it's it's for me to just um, dissect basketball and read it and and be able to understand it on a, on a high level where it's uncanny. Um but yeah, I didn't think that I was going to be a coach so soon. But I definitely seen it just because I've you know been around it and watched so much. So now coaching um, youth primarily. I know you've been around a lot of NBA players. I know mm-hmm. that you work with uh, Javale McGee, James Ennis. Um, I'm sure you can name plenty others. But mm-hmm. now working primarily with youth, how is it? I don't want to get you in trouble, but how is it dealing with not only the pa- the the kids but parents as well? Um, it's a, this next wave of kids, and you know I kind of want to be careful, of course. Um, but a lot of these kids, uh, they don't come from basically like they don't come from similar upbringings than you know the generation before them, where the upbringings was. You played basketball in the park. You might play with an adult that fouls you hard and tells you to shut up and you're not getting your foul, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of, you know, they don't know those experiences or, you know, someone taking your ball and walking off. Yeah. <laughs> like, or, like kick, or kicking it. Or kicking it <laughs> yeah. down the street. Or, like, you know, it's like a lot of things, it's like that, that you know, build character and you kind of have to go through things to toughen you up as a basketball player. A lot of that younger generation – has things handed to them because like our generation that's moving forward is making it better, a better living condition for the kids that are coming up now. Yeah. So a lot, not a lot of kids are coming from that, that, you know, that era. So it's like a lot of the kids I deal with now aren't as uh, rugged, aren't as tough, are, are coming from, you know, a lot like money where it's like everything is, yeah, some some kids that I work with have 10 pair of basketball shoes Jeez. at 12, 13 years old. They got 10 pair. <laughs> None of them are worn out. <laughs> None. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yo, like for you to have so many pair of shoes and average three points, real, like what? Real. Yeah, that's real. Like, man, I wish. 
Yeah. Man, if I had some brand new Jordans and I had three points a game, I wouldn't have no Jordans no more. I remember. People like, you playing these Converse until you can get your scoring up. Bro, I remember <laughs> I remember at West Park, it was uh, fifth grade. My dad, first time he ever bought me a pair of Jordans, he bought me the Jordan, was it the Jordan, Jordan 15s. I played like absolute shit. Took him away. He's like, hey, next time you play better, when I think you play better, you get those shoes back. That's just wild. Yeah, different era. Um, where does your level of uh, mental discipline come from? Because, you know, I I follow you on the eyewash and the activity. I mean, 5 a.m., 6 a.m., you're training. And then if you're not, after you're done, I'm training, meaning like you're working out. And then mm-hmm. after that, I know you got clients all day. Then you have meetings. And then you still have a great relationship with your significant other, Sam. Then you're also, you know, you and Sam also have a house together. So now you guys have a million things going on. You have a million things going on. And you do that every single day. Where does that discipline come from? Was it developed? Explain that. Um, so it was, it was definitely developed. And um, I've always been very disciplined when I have a goal. A goal in, like if there's a goal, I, I'm very disciplined of finding ways to achieve that goal. Um, however, and you know, I would like to credit uh, you and Jordan, um, to be honest. So back, what was it 2015? 2015, yeah. Pep, Pep and Jordan created this this brand called The Breakfast Club. And basically it was it was a brand, if I'm not mistaken, it was just motivating people to to wake up early and work out and get 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 things done early while people were sleeping, basically. Yep. So I was at a point in my life where, here I go on again using the analogy, one foot in and one foot out, where I was still, I'm going to keep it keep it real, keep yeah. it real. <laughs> I was living that life. I was partying. I was partying and hanging out and, you know, the clubs, you know, hanging out, doing all that, that stuff. And then I would still try to make a workout at five o'clock in the morning knowing I had been out to the middle of the night. Yo, trust me, it was all three of us. One of us, either one of us three would either come to the workout and be like, oh yeah, we only slept an hour, still reeking of alcohol. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to, to be honest. To be so honest. Um, there was a point where I was like, you know what? Like, it clicked. It was like, there's no way I can be the best version of myself if I don't start taking my life seriously. And so like, here. but, but it clicked because I, you know, I was partying and I, I probably slept an hour and I went and I tried to work out and I felt bad and I gave a whack workout and I went home and I slept for four hours after the workout. I'm like, this is, this, that was like a turning point in my life where it was like, all right, either you're really going to start this journey where you're going to take your life serious, you know, hundred percent serious where from that day on, I, I think that I started waking up at 5, 6 in the morning, sometimes 4, mm-hmm. 4.30, getting my, my mental right, my workout in, and really changing the trajectory of my life by disciplining myself to to work in that manner and then being able to, uh, you know, say, you know what, I'm not going to go to the club. I'm about to wake up early and work out, and then I'm about to read, and then I'm about to you know, really start to take the steps onto building the life that I wanted. So now doing that for years, I can't go without doing it. Or I f- like, you know, of course you give your couple, one day off here, a couple of days off here, sure, or sure. you're on vacation. But if there's no vacate, I'm five in the morning, six in the morning. Yeah. 
Mandatory. If 6.30 comes, I slept in. <laughs> For real. No, it's real. Um, you better have Samantha. She sent me this. Training advice from Kobe that you live or train by. Ooh. That's a tough one um, because, you know, I try not to share a lot because I won't, you know, I'm trying to keep, keep, you know. When you write your memoir? Well, Ooh, I yeah, get come, it. I hey, come back in 2036 <laughs> and I got you. I got you. No, say less. Say nah, less. Um, so ba- basically, the, the, I'm going to just leave this gym and it's going to be a short one. Uh, pause. Um, <laughs> so basically what he told me was. I asked him a simple question. I was like, hey, man, like I deal with athletes all day. I see pros coming here, well-known pros, all-stars, whatever. And I see high school kids, and I see them just do an hour of, you know, working out, and they go home. I was like, I was like, what? Like, how do you feel about that? And then, so he, man, he went on like a 20-minute tangent on that. But basically what he said was, in his routine, he his conditioning was a whole separate workout than his on-court. So he would do an hour or two of straight conditioning before going on his on-court stuff. So basically how I take that and I tell my players is you have to condition on your own by yourself prior to coming to practice or prior to coming to the workout and really take it serious because if you don't, like, you're not, I always say, I say, look, Kobe's one of the greatest to ever play. This is the blueprint he gave me and told me. If you, like, if you follow this, you're going to be the best that you can be in your, whatever you have to offer, you're going to maximize your potential. But if you don't, I mean, I'm giving you the keys, like, directly from one of the goat's mouth. So you can do what you want with it. So, I mean, that is one little nugget that I'll share, but I'm keeping all the other no, ones to myself. No, keep them. That, that's, a, that's, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm going to end up on uh, TikTok saying this little speech and everyone going to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have, this is my own question, right? So you, you were, a, you were a, a stellar athlete growing up, known around, you know, Ventura County. Now you, you've become um, known all around the county as well. And, I mean, everywhere now as, as a great basketball developer, NBA developer, um, head coach for the youth. Mm-hmm. How does that make you feel? Um, it's hard, man. I mean, it, it makes me feel good. Um, but, you know, I'm barely scratching the surface of what I think I can contribute to you know, my plans and what I have, um, you know, I have to remind myself to, you know, kind of step back and, you know, be grateful for the things that I've done. Um, I just feel there's so much more for me to do. Um, but it does, you know, it does make me feel, you know, like I'm living in my purpose when I can find a kid that, you know, might score two points and he works with me for a year and now he's getting 25 points. Like for me, for me, that is, I'm doing my job by, you know, everything that I've learned, passing it on to the next generation. So that is, you can't put a price tag on that. So that for me, you know, is, means everything to me. 
I also hit up somebody else by the name of Mike Lee to give me Uh-oh. some questions. Uh-oh. <laughs> and about 90% of them, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot oh, put yeah. out there. I might have to walk out on this. But, but there's this one that he actually came up with that I actually really love. And uh, one of them that he did say was, what was the reason or the influence to give back to your community? At the end of the day, you could have gone to Northern California. You could have gone to uh, over the gray. I mean, you could have gone to like Westlake. You could have gone, you know, but, but you, you work with a lot of the Oxnard uh, kids out here. What made you decide to stay here and not go embark somewhere else? Um, I honestly think it's kind of rooted um, in my family. And what I mean by that is for some of you guys that, don't know, or most of you guys that don't know, my grandfather was city councilman um, of the city of Oxnard for a number of years. And not only that, he started up basically all the parks and recs in Oxnard. And for some of you guys that are in boxing culture and know about Oxnard and know about the Colonia Gym, my grandfather started the Colonia Gym. So I didn't know that. Robert Garcia, Fernando Vargas, all the top talent. Ask him about my grandfather. Damn. And they'll, you know what I mean? So that that's kind of the background I come from. And then my dad did it in his way. Um, my dad was taking a lot of, you know, kids that didn't come from the best backgrounds um, in our city, um, which is Oxnard and, you know, s- surrounding cities. And, you know, he was, you know, spending his own money, taking kids to, to Vegas, Palm Springs, uh, San Diego on his own Shout dime. Shout out Dino. <laughs> on, on his own dime, yep. right? Hotels, travel expenses, you know. So justice and, a, and you know, he doesn't get enough credit. He had a few people reach the professional levels, you know. Might not have been basketball, but a couple of NFL players exactly. came out of that, came out of that, right? Um, so, but what I'm saying is just just seeing that, as a young kid, like, man, he's really making an impact. So now, fast forward me, I'm in, you know, my adulthood. And now it's like there's a soft spot for me to have to, not have to, but I feel that it's right that I have to do what I can to influence the next generation or, or you know, help, you know, as much as I can to, you know, have a little kid or, you know, whoever it might be, reach a dream or their potential or even keep them out of trouble. A phrase or a, st- or a statement that you live by? Oh, a phrase or a statement to live by. Not that to live by, but that you live by. Like, first thing that comes to your mind. Man, there's so many. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Um, I don't know. What have I been living by lately? Ooh, excuse me. Uh, the, the, one, the one that I, I've... I've really been uh, living by, actually, this week, um, for whatever reason, when I get uh, in a weird headspace, I like to read books that I've already read. So I I cracked open the seven habits Mm -hmm. of effective people. And this week in particular, what I took from it, from a chapter I read was, you can be two things, proactive or reactive. Which one are you? So I've, all week I've been proactive on doing things that I want to do yeah. and not reactive. So that, that's the one that I've been uh, living by this week. I'm going to steal the question that you asked me to ask Jordan. I'm going to ask you, <laughs> what made you realize that there's more to life than what is shown growing up 
where you grew up uh, on, was it the north or south side of Oxnard? Uh, I went to school in the south, um, but, you know, mainly on, grew up on the west. But, um, you know, shout out to all those parts. Um, but the, the, what, really, what really opened my eyes was the, the moment, you know, the, it all came together at once, right? Um, when Sam came into my life, when you started to do your security and Jordan did his, you guys, like, you guys were at uh, Nobu and then you guys started working for Logic and traveling and doing this. And then, you know, Sam came around at the same time and she was just like, it's possible for you to do that. Like this, this, like all that started happening. And that's around the same time that I ended up going to sports Academy. And now, you know, I'm in workouts with NBA players and I see, you know, all this NBA talent. And it was just like, there's really more than our city. So it made me think bigger, bigger, where it's like, I can really do anything that I put my mind to. And, and it was just having it shown in front of me by, by, by people like me. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, I always use Josh, Josh as the example, but and who, who's, who's Josh again in your life? So Josh is my cousin, but we, you know, grew up in the same household since little kids. So like, he's like my brother. So I call him my brother. However, he went to USC right out of high school and, you know, he's playing, you know, playing in a hundred thousand. What, what year was Coliseum. that? So the Reggie Bush era. Gotcha. Not, uh, 2003. Uh, he, had, he got hurt a few times. So he, you know, played a few extra seasons, but he started in 2003, 2004. Um, 2004 was his first, the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I, I wasn't. Uh, six one two twenty, run a four three forty. So I was like, uh, I need another option <laughs> to be shown. <laughs> um, so, but like to to get you know post playing career and to see like my close friends and to you know travel travel and to you know be in these rooms where you know just use Nobu for example, like the Kardashians are hanging out and all these these people. I'm like. You know, there's more to, you know, what we have back home. Like, we can actually be in these rooms and in these arenas and with these people that everyone, you know, quotations, thinks are stars. Yeah. But, like, when you get in these rooms with them, they're normal people. Exactly. It's just it's just the confidence. <clears throat> yeah. Um, how, I know you, you had touched on how how important your your, your dad was coaching you and raising you and also him doing so much in the uh in the community how important are parents in your field of coaching with kids so how how how, how important are the are the parents with your athletes that you coach so um <clears throat> my bad can you rephrase that sam just text me <laughs> we got dinner dog we got dinner. <laughs> So let me let me ask the question one more time because you got a text message. Mm-hmm. How important are parents when it comes to with 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 the kids that you're coaching right now? Uh, the parent, so the the parents um, are the most important thing in these kids' 
basketball journey. And I wanted to touch on this on, you know, my own thing, but I'll say it here. Yeah. The parents that fully get it and understand and trust in what I am, the plan that I have for the kids, those kids are, are put into positions to be successful. And then you have the kids, the parents that don't understand basketball, one, they don't understand how it works, like the, just the game and like outside the game. And they think their opinion uh, outweighs what I have for them. And it hurts the kid because most of the nine times out of 10, the parents don't know anything about nothing. So, so, and it, it hurts the, like, man, it hurt, it hurts my heart when, you know, kids choose to either play for another club program or, or decide to stop training. And then two or three years later, I see them, their game hasn't progressed. They're playing on a bad team. And then the co the parents reach back out to me like, Hey, do you want to, start to train my kid again and it's just kind of like you just wasted three years and now your kid isn't playing in high school yeah sitting the bench and now you want to come back so if the if you can get you know the parents that trust into me and understand that i have the best intentions for your kid those are the parents that are the ones that kids do the best and i'm just going to be honest what piece of advice would you give the next D Pinker, the next uh, coach, the next NBA developer, the next, you know, coach who's trying to strive to be like you? What piece of advice would you give that, that, that kid or that young individual? Um, my piece of advice is to constantly seek information. Um, I feel that growing up where I grew up, there was a lack of resources, information being passed my way, um, where if I was a little more curious or a little more, you know, calling people and asking questions, um, certain things that I could have kind of just changed things for my, for my future. And it, it wasn't until, you know, my adulthood after college where I really started seeking information for myself um, on a level where everything I was seeking was beneficial to the lifestyle that I wanted to live. Um, so as a, it can be whatever you're into, whether it's you're trying to be a doctor or you're trying to be a ball player, you're trying to be pharma, pharmacist, whatever you want to be, you know, maybe you, act, maybe you ask questions like at 12, like, how do I start trying to be a doctor now? Like, what do I do to need to prepare myself? Things like that. Just like being curious and being able to ask questions and utilize the resources you have around you and not, because I'm sure as kids, like you had people walking in and out of your life that you were like, oh, he was a, he was a doctor. Oh, he was a this, he was a that. And you're just like, damn, I could have asked him all kinds of questions back then. Mm -hmm. And you just didn't because it wasn't on your mind. So I would just say seek as much information as possible and really try to learn something every day that's going to help you in the things that you like to do. And my final question mm -hmm. is, 
what would you like to be remembered as? What do you want your legacy to be? Man, I would just like to be remembered as a person that cared, that cared for people, that cared for the youth, that, that cared for his family, and a person that was, that basically gave everything he had back to the people that he loved and the people close to around, uh, close and around him. Um, because, you know, you can have the money, you can have the cars, but like what you really leave the impact with is a feeling. Like you'll, you'll, someone can leave tomorrow, right? But they'll never forget how you made them feel. So if I can reach kids and people and whoever it might be and just be like, yo, like, like D made me, he made me feel like this. He, he, he helped me get to college. He helped me get out of a bad situation. He got me a job. He did it. Like if I can just impact people on a positive matter and you know, I'll be good with that because that's, those are the things that live on. And just like that, we're wrapping up. D, thank you for being my guest on Pep Talk. And I appreciate everybody tuning in, listening. Uh, D, where can people find you at on all social media platforms? All right. So you can find me on Instagram at I train with D. Um, that's my main platform that I use right now. I'm also on TikTok on the same handle. But, you know, I've been BSing on that. Um, so... I also have my YouTube channel coming soon, um, real soon. As soon as this summer dies down, I've been swamped with people and clients and AAU tournaments and travel. So once I get a pocket of time, I'm going to shoot some content your way. All right. Once again, everybody, thank you for tuning in to Pep Talk. D, again, appreciate you stopping by. Hope everybody enjoys this podcast. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Peace.